message that I announced this morning, I simply call the team that will never lose. The team that will never lose. I know most of Georgia is in mourning today over the team that did lose last night. But I'm talking tonight about a team that will never lose. And I'm glad that we can uh, be fans of that team. We can cheer for that team. We can shout it out. And I'm glad that indeed every person can be a part of that never losing team. There are several verses that I want to call to your attention. And if you will, you may have time to turn to all of them. If not, if you will, at least make a note of and a reference to where they are. First of all, I'm reminded of what Paul tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 57. And the apostle says these words of praise and thanksgiving. And he declares, but thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, victory is assured. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14, one of my favorite verses that has been such a strength to my own life and a guide to my life. In 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, the Holy Spirit through Paul gives these words, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Indeed, Paul was a man who was on the winning team. He knew that there was ultimate victory. There may have been a few setbacks and a few losses, but ultimately this great man of God understood that ultimately the victory was for those who were in Christ and who knew his power. Romans 8 tells us again some of his words at verse 37, and he says this, Nay, in all these things, and he had just mentioned tribulation, persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. He says in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The word conqueror, by the way, I may have shared this with you before, comes from an interesting word in the language of the Greek New Testament. It is the word from which the shoe company gets their title, uh, Nike. And that word means simply conqueror. But Paul said that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And then one other verse in Matthew 16 at verse number 18, when the Lord Jesus spoke of his team, he called it his church. And he had this note of victory as he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the opposition, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it or shall not swallow it up. 
So uh, I want us to think about this team that Paul, that indeed spoke of, and that our Lord Jesus spoke of as a team that will never lose. First of all, there is the corporation that uh, we think of when we think of a, a particular uh, team, baseball, uh, basketball, or football, a corporation, and that's what they are. The dictionary defines a corporation as, as consisting of persons united in one body under such grants as secure a succession of members without changing the identity of the body and empowered to act in a certain capacity. In other words, and in simple terms, that spells a team. It spells folks who are together in oneness and indeed who in that body, though they should pass from the scene, there is the succession of others who come in and take their place. Indeed, this very corporation, this body, this team was conceived in the mind of God the Father from the ages of eternity past. In Ephesians chapter 1 at verse number 4, Paul speaks of this mystery that he writes about in the book of Ephesians that we know as the church. And he said this, He hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. So in the mind of God, the corporation, the team that I speak of is of ancient, of eternal origin. It was in the very mind of God from the beginning. If you have found the book of Ephesians chapter 1, let me read you two other verses at verses 9 and 10. Paul speaks further of it and says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So here again, Paul refers to this corporation, this team, this body, that that we know as the church the unbeatable team, the team that will never ultimately lose. While you're there in Ephesians, let me ask you to look in chapter 3, and Paul continues this same thought at chapter 3 and verse number 3 down through verse number 6. And he says, How that by revelation he, God, made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote a foreign few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now what was that revelation? That the Gentiles, verse 6, should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. You see, Israel, the Jew, felt that they were the secluded, the only group who would be in that corporation. But Paul said from eternity past, 
in the mind of God, it was God's conceived plan that this body, this team, would be composed not only of Jew, but of Gentile as well, who would believe on the Lord Jesus as revealed in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the verse that I read from Matthew 16 at verse 18, the Lord Jesus identifies himself as the, as the builder of that very body or that corporation, that team. And he said, upon this rock I will build my church. And so the corporation or the body, the team, is that that will never, ever lose. Not only would I think, have you to think of the corporation, but also we must recognize that on this particular never losing team, those who are on it are, get this, they are called of God. They are chosen of God. Now, we read in the sporting news and so forth uh, of the draft. The men uh, gather and they will draft or choose certain young men who have great promise and athletic ability. And they draft those fellows and they get them on their team. Well, the Lord uh, does something similar. He chooses those. Uh, he calls those unto himself. John chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus said, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. The very fact that we may not understand all about the sovereign choices of God does not make it any less real. God is sovereign. He can do whatever he chooses to do. And we may look at him and say, well, that's just not fair. How can you accuse a perfect God of being unfair? In other words, he made the choice. He chose Abraham out of the many who could have been chosen, but Abraham was God's choice. Indeed, God's choices are sovereign, and he calls men unto himself. Indeed, we realize that the choosing of God, the election of God, is determined by his foreknowledge. It is not that God elects to reject some, but in that his knowledge is beforehand, he knows those who are going to and will respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to wait until that person walks the aisle to say, that's one of my chosen. Now you say, preach, that's pretty dangerous ground. Let me just assure you of this. I don't know who they are. I only know that the Lord told me to preach the gospel, the good news to every creature. I'll leave the rest of that up to the Lord. God's foreknowledge is there. God's choice is indeed evident. In Ephesians 1, we read at verse 4, Paul said, He hath chosen us in him when? Before the foundation of the world. Now that may baffle and boggle your mind, but yet in the very word of God. Very simple, very clear, very plain. Look in 1 Peter, if you will, at chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10. And the scripture reveals this as Peter writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 9 and 10. And he writes this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whence in time past were not a people, 
but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Well, sometimes people say, well, the Lord must have called this man because of certain abilities that he had or certain talents that he had. Now, the baseball drafters may call a young man onto their team by reason of his ability, his athletic prowess. But I'll tell you, the Paul, the Peter writes and tells us that here indeed he called those who were not even a people, but now are the people of God. Paul again reminds us in his letters that God had chosen the weak things of the world the things that are nothing. He has called them unto himself, sinners indeed we are, that he calls unto himself. And so here we find those who are chosen to be a part of this particular team. Somebody said, God's election is like this. He cast a vote, I cast a vote. And indeed, the election is settled. God has determined to save all who will come unto him. He has opened the door and said, whosoever will. But the thing that settles it in your life and in mine is the choice we make in return to that very call and that very will of God. I think of Israel when the Lord reminded them back here in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is a precious statement to me. I don't know why it just kind of, it kind of, it kind of sticks with me. And the Lord said in Deuteronomy 7, as he spoke to Israel through his servant, and he said at, at, in Deuteronomy 7, verse number 6, he said these words, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now look at verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people. For you were fewer, were the fewest of all people. You were the smallest, the most insignificant. It wasn't because, again, your talent, your bigness, your power. But he said you were the smallest of all the people. But, verse 8, because the Lord loved you. Oh, how precious is the love of God. And that very motivation of God is that that causes him to call sinners unto himself. When we think of a baseball team or any other sports team, there is indeed a cost in, that, in the purchasing of that particular team. I do not know how much Mr. Turner paid for the Braves. He might sell them pretty cheap right now. But nonetheless, there's been a great price. I, I hear the ridiculous salaries that many of the players make. A million, two million, three, five million paid to a fella to play on those particular teams. They bought him, in other words. But I'm going to tell you on the team that I'm on and your own, if you're a child of God, the price that was paid for you and me is far greater than the millions and billions and trillions of dollars that may have been spent through the years for those to perform some athletic event out on a field. Uh, by the way, when you get, to, when you get past 50 and 100, I, I, it's hard for me to envision that. They tell us this. We talk about the three trillion dollar debt. I read from uh, who was a fellow in Gainesville, uh, Larry Burkett. Uh, Larry had something in a little article the other day about how much uh, a trillion dollars is, and he said it just boggles the mind. He said if you were to take 
to make $1 trillion. If you were to take take $1,000 bills, I don't mean a dollar bill, but $1,000 bills, and tie them real tight. I mean just press them together uh, tightly. He said a trillion dollars in $1,000 bills would, 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 would cover, I would reach to a height of 63 miles. Can you imagine that? I mean, that's almost to Atlanta. I cannot envision what a trillion dollars is. But if you could, and I could, it is nothing comparable to the price that our Lord Jesus paid for you and me that we could be a part of this winning team. I think of Peter when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19 and said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with silver and gold, you weren't bought with that, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Oh, that's the price the Lord paid for us. When you get to feeling you're not worth anything, just remember the price God paid for you. Just remember the price tag that hangs on you. Oh, the price, the greatest price ever paid that we could be a part of this winning team. Again, the apostle writes of that purchase price and he says in Colossians 1, 12 through 14, giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us brought us up out of the sandlot, brought us up out of the minors, and put us up in the major league, if you please, into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. And so it is by the blood of Christ that you and I have become a part of this winning team. I'm glad I'm on the winning side. Not only that, but as you think of a team, there must be coordination. There must be coordination. That is, there must be the harmonious integration of action of the various parts of that body, that organism, or even an organization, or as far as that goes, a machine. So we're talking about the coordination, the working together, the harmonious relationship. To coordinate a team, for example, there are at least four principal parties essential if there is to be coordination, harmonious, working together. There must be, first of all, an owner. Someone owns every team that you see play on television or you go here to play or watch to play on the field as far as professional sports is concerned. There is an owner of this team. A second one of great importance is the manager. A third is the captain. And indeed, not to to say uh, unimportant, but last, the members of that team. Those four are so essential. I think of the owner, and indeed the owner of this winning team is God the Father. We belong to him. We are his possession. We are not our own. We have been bought with a price. I think of the manager, who indeed is the Holy Spirit. He is the one, indeed, who manages this team. There is the captain of the team, who indeed is referred to in the Bible as the captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the members indeed are the players, you and me. Ah, we're not playing, it is a labor. But yet we're on the team. And those four are very essential in their, in their positions. Indeed, in that organization of coordinating, working together, there are others who have positions that are delegated to them by the owner and by the manager. And thus, in the body of Christ, there are those. Paul spoke of it in Ephesians 4, verse 11, 12, and 13. And he said that he gave to some apostles and prophets and teachers and evangelists and pastors. And these have the place of delegated positions and leadership in that winning team. They are those whom the Lord has indeed appointed. As to the owner, the team members, you and I, are to honor, to reverence, and to bring glory to that owner. I thought of those owners of the different teams I thought of the owner of the Jays. I hate to mention that name right off the bat. But indeed, the, the winning team brought great honor and recognition and brought glory and applause from those who love that team. Didn't bring it for me, but I mean, it brought, uh, brought great glory to it. And so it is, you and I, our lives are to bring honor and glory to the Father. Did our Lord Jesus not say that we are to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. The owner of the team is to receive honor and glory. I saw when, the, when our Braves won that National League pennant, uh, they handed that big, uh, uh, what do you call it, that big trophy uh, to Mr. Turner. And uh, what a gleam of delight was on his face. What I want you to understand is that's what our life's all about. To bring glory and honor to God, our Heavenly Father. Not only that, but we're to yield to the managing of the Holy Spirit. We're to yield to Him. Little wonder then that Paul warned us to not quench the Holy Spirit. Little wonder that he said, grieve not the Holy Spirit. You see, it is the cause of the manager that makes the team very successful. The man who calls the shots, who gives the signals, and so forth. And so what we're trying to say is the Holy Spirit fills that role on this team that never, ever will lose. Not only that, but we are indeed admonished to look up to and listen to the captain of the team. He is the one who encourages us from the, uh, from the side. He is there on the team with us. He is right there. I think of Mr. Pendleton, one of the, I guess, the captain of the Braves. And, and uh, I've heard many remarks about uh, Pendleton and how he brings such a, a charge and challenge and encouragement to all the fellows in the clubhouse. I'm glad our Lord Jesus, yes, is the captain. He is our Savior, but yet he is with us. And that's exactly what he said. If you'll go into all the world doing what? Preaching the gospel, proclaim the gospel to every creature. What did he say as his promise? Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. I'm glad we do not fight and do not struggle and do not exercise our lives as Christians by our own strength and by, and by ourselves. He doesn't just send us out and say, do the best you can. He said, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. I'll be with you. And so indeed we are to listen to and to look up to the captain. And as far as the other members of the team, throughout the word of God, we are admonished to love one another. 
Sad when a team has bickering among itself. Sad when a team is concentrating on what someone else did or did not do instead of concentrating on winning the game that God the Father may be honored, that the Holy Spirit may not be grieved, that the captain of our salvation might be delighted. Even so, we are to love one another. We are also admonished to encourage one another. And you see, I think it would be very discouraging if I were a baseball player and I went out to that play a game like in the World Series and I was the only player that showed up or if just me and two or three other fellows showed up, how discouraging that would be. No wonder the writer in the Hebrew letter in chapter 10 verse 25 says, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the custom of some is. I said, but rather that you gather to provoke one another to love. That is to encourage one another. And that's what happens. We encourage each other by our presence, by our word, by our prayer, by our faithfulness. We encourage one another on this team that we're on. And then indeed there is competition to the team. There's that opposing team that we play. Much uh, competition comes and sometimes great uh, hardship and great uh, discouragement. Sometimes the team plays away from home and that's tough. Uh, I wouldn't want it to have been in the pole brave shoes in Toronto. With all that crowd uh, crying and cheering for them. And here they are away from familiar faces and familiar turf. Hey, child of God, you and I are playing away from home. We're not home yet. Our home's on the other side. Oh, yes, they, we play away from home. And sometimes that increases the, the battle that's ours to fight and the, uh, and the life that is ours to, to live. The Bible calls us strangers. The Bible calls us pilgrims. The Bible calls us sojourners. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. And then there's the stadium they play in, the place where they play, and often playing away from home in a strange territory. There are more jeers than cheers. There is more criticism than compliment. There is more booze than blessing. And I don't mean B-O-O-Z-E. There may be more of that as well. But it, do you spell it with an E? I don't even know. But anyway, much less drank the stuff. The stadium, the bad press comes in. I hear plays talking about the bad press we get. The reports of the sports writers. Ah, the biased press sometimes. They have their own favorite teams and they'll write more favorably of them. Hey, listen, the Bible never said this world would be friendly to you and me as a Christian. The Bible never says that this world will cheer us on. In fact, what the church stands for today, the Bible and the doctrines of the faith, this world's not too much in favor of that. Today, when you try to stand on a moral issue like abortion, the world cries in horror and disgust and rejection against the church. When the church stands for purity and for honor and for dignity and for uh, the family and for values of that sort, the world boos at that. We get bad press. They would even dare say the church is the cause for all the trouble. I even heard tonight on the news, though I'm not a Catholic, in New York, there was a protest against the doctrine of the Catholic Church relative to the family 
And uh, they were protesting, saying uh, the doctrines of that church is responsible for children being abused. And yet I thought to myself, I wonder when it'll come our way and, and, and the press will, I mean, give us a hard time. And often they do even now. And then the opposition is there, that opposing force, the world, the flesh, that is our own self. And oftentimes we are our worst enemy, are we not? We go out on the field to play with a bad attitude. We go out there not without uh, real dedication to the game or we go out there on the, on the field of labor and activity and maybe we have some virus of sin, some unconfessed thing in our life and we can't give it our best. And so it is, there's the opposition from the devil, the flesh, the world. We're fighting a, 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 a relentless and an untiring enemy. And yet the truth is every man must fill his own place. If there is to be honor of God, we must fill the place that God's given us. God didn't call you to fill the place that your pastor filled. He called you to fill the place where you are. As a member of this church, as a professed Christian, he called you to fill that place and to be faithful in it. Finally, there's the crown or the coronation. The day comes when the, the crown is given to that winning team. And I'm glad I can tell you tonight that one day that crown shall be given to that body, to that team, to that corporation, to that, uh, uh, to that church that has been redeemed by the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this team even wins if it loses. We win, Paul said it like this relative to death. He said to live is Christ, to die is gain. How can you beat a fellow like that? How can you conquer a man like that? He said as long as I'm living is Christ and to die is even gain. He said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He wrote in Romans 14, 8 and said for whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Or whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. How can you beat a team like that? There is no way. Paul said, as long as I'm here and, and living, I'm winning. And if I die and go home to be the Lord, I've won as well. The opposition today seeks to soil the record of this team. The opposition would like to rub us in the dirt and soil the garment. But I have the promise of our Lord that he will present his body, his team, his church without spot and without wrinkle. He will present it unto God the Father, a glorious church. John saw in the Revelation, in that last book of the Bible, that bride, that, that church, that body, that team adorned as a bride for her husband spotless, pure, clean, though the devil, though the flesh, the world may try to soil the garment of the true child of God, it is by reason of the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ that we will be presented faultless before his throne. Paul said finally in 2 Timothy, I fought a good fight. I have kept, I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. What a day it'll be 
when we stand before him victorious, the church, the body of Christ, this unbeatable team of redeemed men and women. You see, the Lord locked you in to a destiny when he saved you. He predestined you that who would trust our Lord Jesus that you would one day be like Christ. And there's nothing the world, there's nothing the flesh, there's nothing the devil can do that can defeat that ultimate win for the child of God. Thank God we're on the winning team. The team of the body of Christ, though scarred, though knocked down, yet never knocked out, Yet bruised, we'll come home victorious, shouting the victory, rejoicing. Oh, if you saw any of the rejoicing at the end of the National League series or even the World Series and the team that won. Did you ever see people act like that? Would to God we could act a little like that in his house. That'd scare most of us Baptists after death. We'd want to cart somebody off to the funny farm if anybody ever got happy over anything that's real and eternal. Long as you hoop and holler over money or hoop and holler over a team that's won baseball or basketball, that's all right. But don't get excited when we think about victory, eternal victory that's ours in Jesus Christ. Paul said, I'm sorry, you'll have to hold my, my mule and my camel. I'm going to shout, he said, but thanks be unto God, he said, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God we're on the winning team. Let's pray together. Tonight, my friend, you can be on that team. Our Lord invites you. He extends the call to every man when he said to whosoever will, let him come. Let him take the water of life freely. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. You may feel like that you're not worthy because of a life of sin and disobedience and so on that you're not worthy to be on his team. That's not even the point. None of us are worthy, but by his grace, he has called us. And by his blood, he has washed us clean and given us that special gift of his Holy Spirit within us and would have us to rejoice in the victory that's ours in Christ. I wonder how many tonight will say, Preacher, I'm glad I'm on that winning team. Thank God. I'm glad I'm in his, on his team. I'm on the winning side. Lift your hand if you can say it in gratitude and thanksgiving to God in heaven. Thank you so much. Is there someone here tonight may say, Preach, I, I'm not on that winning team. Life seems to me to be nothing but one constant loss after another. You see, when you follow Satan and sin, he gives you the illusion that you're winning, but really you're losing. Already the cards are stacked against you. The scores already, already put up on the board. A man who rejects Jesus Christ loses. Sin always brings loss. Satan is a king who takes, not one who gives. I wonder tonight if you're here and you've never really come to Christ. And ultimately, if you fail to do so, you're going to lose. One day you're going to stand before him and hear our God say, Depart from me, 
I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. Oh, God forbid that anybody who sits here tonight in this audience would ever hear those words. But rather that every one of us will hear the word, Come, thou blessed of the Lord. Enter, enter the wonderful place I've prepared for you. God grant that we'll all know that. Is there someone here to say, Pastor, I don't really know that I've ever come into Christ. I've never received him as my Savior. Would you pray for me? If so, would you lift your hand up and take it down anywhere just before we pray? Then let's stand to our feet, please. And we're going to sing together after we've had prayer just the chorus of victory in Jesus. Thank God for that victory. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're on the winning team. And Lord, you put us there. Nothing of ourselves merited our being in this wonderful body, this wonderful organism called the church. Lord, uh, we never did anything that would merit that, but only by your grace, only by your grace, your love and mercy, have you made us a part of this wonderful winning team. Lord Jesus, this old team may get battered and knocked around, but Lord, when the final showdown comes, you've told us we have the victory. We are the winners. Lord, we pray for our friends and loved ones who do not know this Savior who can make winners out of men. We pray that they'll come to know him and that we'll be diligent as thy people. May we not be selfish. May we not be so centered on ourselves. We'll neglect to tell others that they too have an invitation to come, that you extend that call. God grant it. Now, thank you again so much for saving us for giving us the peace that we know in our heart, the assurance. Lord, when it seems like the whole world and even our nation turns contrary to Thee, to the true church, to the Word of God, Lord, yet we thank You that we're encouraged to know that we're on the winning side. Thank You for that. May we be faithful to You and fill our place in faithfulness of Thee. And we'll thank You in Jesus' precious name we humbly pray, amen. Let's sing the stanza and the chorus. I heard an old, old story, and you know it by heart, victory in Jesus. And if you know that and you believe, do you really believe that or do you think you're already whipped? Huh? Do you, really, you think you're whipped or you think you're winning? Huh? Are you on the winning side? Praise God. Let's sing it like there is victory. Let's lift it out. Hi.